0: Will you pray with me? Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts together be acceptable in your sight, through Christ Jesus, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It's no secret to many of you that I like to ride a bicycle on occasion. When I was a young boy, and I got my first bicycle, it had training wheels on it, and I was trying my best to learn how to balance and you know, rocking from one side to the other and the wheels of the training wheels would catch me. At some point along that process of learning, my older brother grabbed a wrench from my father's book, uh, uh, workbench, and he loosened the bolts holding the training wheel to the side of my back tire because he had noticed that I wasn't really using them much anymore, that I was pretty much ready to ride, so he thought he would just turn me loose. And so I took off down the driveway and headed up the street, and he was riding along next to me on his bike, and he said, hey, Bill, I said, what? And he said, take a look at your training wheels. And I looked down, and they had both sort of floated back to the back, of the, and they weren't touching the ground anymore. And I immediately freaked out and crashed. Uh, <laughs> but it wasn't long after that it wasn't long after that that I uh, was tearing all over the neighborhood on my bike and falling down and getting skinned up and doing all the things that kids do and another fold in my learning process had wrinkled itself into my brain I had picked up another skill and we go through our lives in this world and this is the way we Experience everything we do. We start with just a little bit and we build upon it. It is no different in the kingdom of God. Jesus had once said, The kingdom is like a mustard seed, the smallest of all the seeds, which, you know, when you put it in the ground, it grows and it becomes a great big shrub or a, a tree or a, uh, something that all the birds of the air can build their nests into. The, the kingdom of God is like a little pinch of yeast, just a little tiny bit, and you put it in a loaf of bread, and after a while, it has raised the entire loaf just by mixing it in. This is what the kingdom of God is like. From small beginnings come great things. And I wanted you to have that in your mind as you think about this parable that Jesus told. And the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus told this parable as a reminder to his flock to his disciples, to his church, that they should always pray and never lose heart. And the parable that he told was the parable about a, a poor widow who had nothing in this world and an unrighteous judge from which she was seeking a judgment of vindication. And Day after day, she would come to the judge. And this judge, this judge was not somebody who cared about God and was not somebody who cared about people. God couldn't care less about this woman who kept coming to him. And yet, the parable says, one day he said to himself, i better give this widow what she wants or she's going to wear me out with her continual coming. And then Jesus said, think about that parable and the unjust judge. We Christians have a habit when we hear the parables of Jesus of treating them as if they were an analogy for the world around us. And so we look for all the characters and say, who is who and what is what? And so this woman becomes a symbol of the church. And then you say, well, then the judge must be the symbol of God in this case. But in fact, it makes God out to be a hideous character. We are not meant in this parable to compare like to like. But this is a parable that creates a contrast that moves us right alongside the rest of the kingdom of God from the lesser to the greater. It's Jesus' way of saying, if a judge who is this unrighteous knows how to give good things to somebody, then how much more will the heart of God desire to give Vindication to his children who cry out to him day and night. So that the subject of the story here is partially justice, yes, but it's mostly God's desire to vindicate his children. And that includes you and me. I was reading uh, some of the commentaries. William Barclay has an interesting commentary, and he always comes up with different tidbits, and he was pointing out that when the judge says, this woman will wear me out, that it could be translated, she will blacken my eye. And so William Barclay thinks that maybe the judge gave in because he was afraid this woman was gonna sock him in the face. Um, I think that actually what was being uh, represented by this phrase in the original language is that if you stay up too many nights in a row, you start to get little black circles under your eyes. And this judge was saying to himself in the story, if this woman keeps coming to me like this, I'm not going to get any sleep, and I'm not going to be able to look at myself in the mirror. It's an interesting parable uh, because in Jesus' time, any disputes uh, um, between the Jewish people would have been handled almost instantaneously by taking the case to the elders and the scribes and the chief priests. But in this case, this judge is probably not a Jewish judge. The Roman culture that had come to occupy the space around where Jesus and the disciples were doing their ministry, they had a system of arbitration, not unlike some things that we see today. If you go to a court of arbitration, there's one judge who is hired by the plaintiff, and there's one judge who is hired by or picked by the defendant, and then there's a middle judge who can tip the scale one way or the other. And often these middle judges were mercenaries uh, and often were known to be a little bit um, uh, industrious in the way they handed out their judgment. You want to make sure that you see them and pay them well on the way to the court so that they'll tip in your favor. And that makes this story come to life because this poor widow waiting for that third and final ballot to be cast in the court of arbitration, has nothing with which to pay anybody. She has no material goods with which to enrich this judge's life. And so what does she do? She decides that she will enrich his life by giving him the opportunity to tell her to go away day after day after day after day. And then one day... uh, She gets what she wants, and he has a good night's sleep. It's a good story. It's a good story because it reminds us that in this world, people with perseverance know how to get just about anything they want. If at first you don't succeed, No, lay down on a nap, uh, for a nap, and try to think of a better idea. No, at first you don't succeed, keep trying. We want to instill, even in our children, the idea that we keep going at it, we keep going at it, we keep going at it. When I was a seventh grader, I got pushed into the advanced mathematics thing, and so that was great, and then I got to eighth grade, and there was algebra, pre-algebra. And they had these things called polynomials, and the quadratic equation. And about half of you felt your heart rate just go up when I said those words right now. I could not figure out how to solve the quadratic equation or factor a polynomial to save my life. And I had a couple of false starts on quizzes in the classroom. And I told my parents, I don't know if I'm going to get this. And my dad went to the uh, library shelf in the hallway. And he pulled down a big red book called Mathematics Made Simple. And he said, you will not go out and play football with your friends today, but you're gonna sit down here. Don't you know there were at least 1,000, maybe 100,000 polynomials in that book just waiting to be factored? And he made me sit down and do it. And I just kept going at it and 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 and getting frustrated and sharpening my pencil and doing it again, checking answers, I'm not even close. And then all of a sudden, whatever it was in my brain that was stubbornly hanging on just said, okay, there's such a thing as a polynomial and you can deal with it. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I couldn't wait to find the next polynomial. There's a whole bunch of polynomials ranging out there. They're wild. They're free-range polynomials. They have nowhere to go, and I'm going to go lasso them, and I'm going to bring them in, and I put them all in my corral. I couldn't wait. In fact, anybody who wants to after worship, we'll sit down and we'll factor some polynomials together because I can still do it for it. We'll bring the cop. Once you've got a thing, you've got a thing. Once you learn a thing, you've learned a thing. It's why Paul, in the first lesson from today, also telling Timothy, stay in there, deal with the suffering, and do the work of an evangelist. The work of the evangelist is the one who has discovered how it works and then can't wait to tell anybody. I had the same experience with those things they call magic eye pictures. Have you ever seen one of those? just a big, blurry piece of wallpaper. And somebody gave us a book, and I took it to the reading room, otherwise known as the bathroom in our uh, house. And every day I would sit and stare at these pictures, and I would follow the instructions, and all I saw was a big page of wallpaper. I couldn't see anything. And then one day, the whole page became liquid, and it started to swim and stir before my eyes, and all of a sudden, this big three-dimensional object popped forward. And I didn't have to look in the back of the book to see what it was supposed to be. It was right there in front of me. And my kids and Judy and everybody else couldn't stand me for the next two weeks. could I go out and say, can you see this? This is awesome. <laughs> hmm. And people come to church and they sit in the pews for a week, for a month, for a year, for decades sometimes. And they see people all around them coming to life and the arms begin to fold and the head begins to bow and they wonder in their heart of hearts, is it too late for me? Did I miss it? Am I the one person in the world whom God will never touch? Why is it that we do not persevere in the things of faith? the way we persevere in the things of this world, when the treasures of God's kingdom are so much brighter and so much more full than anything this world has to offer, when the world of the lesser will always give way to the world of the greater in God's kingdom. And I want to tell you, if this has been your experience, if you haven't seen the magic eye picture, if you can't solve the polynomial, if you haven't broken through yet, please, in Jesus' name, don't give up today. I don't care how many years have gone by. Don't give up. Because this is a story about how much God desires to vindicate his friends and to give them the kingdom of God. Don't give up today. There is a beauty to God's realm that defies description. It is beyond the ability of my poor tongue to do justice to it. It has to be believed to be seen, but once it is seen, it will stagger. And some of you already know this, and some of you have been there, Then you walk in the back door of this church and you leave behind the mean streets and the noises of this world and the the news of the, the bombs and of the storms and of the earthquakes and you come through these doors and you sit down and the angels themselves surround you with their silent love. And you take hold of the hand of the Nazarene carpenter who is the best lover of every human soul and you walk with him apace on the highland. Uh, hills of God's country. And all is made well. We move from the lesser of sight, sound, taste, touch, and smell to the power of God's resurrection and the promise of our eternity in the presence of God. Don't give up. Don't surrender. Keep your Bible open on your lap. Keep your heart open before God. Keep your eyes and ears tuned, strain, lean in. Keep your mind ready to receive. God's great kingdom is at hand. And brothers and sisters, I tell you in the name of Jesus, we do not have to wait until some promise of a far-off heaven we can know it now. We might not know it completely, but we will know it in part, and we will know we are on the way. Let us be those people of hope. Let us live as the children of promise. Let us leave behind the mundane. Let us press forward, lean in, Seek with all that we have until we hear God's whispered word of love into our hearts. I promise you, you'll never pray to win the lottery again when you have tasted the Lord because the lottery is nothing compared to what God can give. Nothing at all. And if you haven't seen for yourself yet, you may have to take our word for it for just a time but in the fullness of time, maybe even this morning, comes the warming of your heart and the quickening of your pulse and the breathless, powerful, stunning experience of God's eternal love just for you, just for now and forevermore. Amen.